2: hello everyone and welcome to august the following people have pledged their support on patreon to support the podcast and because of these kind people i am able to put the podcast out on a consistent basis so i want to thank david and jennifer von ebers jeff ulmer sylvan groth liz brunson yetta steve van Zack, Rob Barnett, Randy Brown, Bella Pori, John Munson, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Steve Rogers, Dale Hosek, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Thanks everyone for the support. If you want to be part of the Patreon family and get unique unedited episodes in video, Please go to patreon.com, search for Set Lusting Bruce, and you can support for as little as $5 a month. Thank you, everyone. Now, on to the show.
0: As a child, fantasy was definitely my go to. Middle school is where I started actually reading Arthurian legends. And so okay. that's what I got into, specifically Lloyd Alexander's, like the Black Cauldron, Book of Three, that series. Also, really got into Susan Cooper's The Darkest Rising series. So that was big in the 80s. So by the time I read it, it had been around for a while, but based off of the authorian legends again, there. Fantasy was definitely my best. bread and butter when I was younger.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, though I'm sure he will come up as he normally does, and we are in a literary train. That's right, we are doing one of our wonderful episodes where we have a writer join us and we talk about her literary journey. So Gwen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little about yourself. So I am an author from Chicago
0: and I tend to have a pretty varied range. So I have both romances out as well as speculative short fiction. So I run the gauntlet, but get leading more and more into short fiction lately. Why uh, short fiction? Weirdly enough, I've just been having more success for it. It's easier for me to share online and in social media. And so that's where I'm tending to grab traction and where I'm actually building a community is around my short fiction versus my long form.
2: Do you find it different creatively? And I'm just diving right into it. No, that's fair. That's fair. Go for it. Yeah, because you've got to have a little different muscles between a long form and a short story or short. Do you find that you're enjoying this short of uh, doing this short independent stories?
0: Yes, I've actually found as I've written more over the years that short form tends to be my natural inclination. So like when I was younger it was always that dream you got to write a novel, but it was always such a struggle for me to write a novel. That's a lot of words. Yeah. And so I found that naturally as I just got more familiar with the with the creative side and my own strengths and what I wanted to write I found that I naturally fell into that shorter form. So a long story for me might be between 15 and 20,000 words, but that's like a novelette, novella range. Some famous stories are really short. The Time Machine, for example, by Wells. And a lot of things that I'm publishing now, like I mentioned before, I'm trying to build this community online. So a lot of that is even shorter. It's almost flash fiction. So things that are under a thousand words, and it is a very different muscle than some of those longer, even like 10K pieces. You have to be a lot more aware of the economics of language. It's very precise. What do I want to say? What do I want to focus on? Not just in terms of character, but also plot and world. So a lot of trimming, (laughs) whereas a novel really has that space to breathe.
2: Yeah. I don't, I had bought J. Michael Stravinsky, the guy who has done a little bit of everything, Babylon Five is probably what he's known best for, but he mm-hmm. did he did a book, Becoming a Writer, Staying a Writer. And one of the chapters was editing. And mm-hmm. he showed the whole chapter of how he started and just went through everything he did to show that addition by subtraction. Yes. And There is a beauty, and I've heard other people talk about that, right? That if you set yourself that limit, that you have to find that, as you said, economy of words. I need to make sure that every word I work is exactly the word I need. In a lot of ways, it's like lyrics, song lyrics, right? Like you have to, what is the right word to put the emotion and the mood that I'm trying to portray? And depending on what's the choice of the mood, it can totally, the word, it can totally change things, can't it?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of songs, I would, what's the average length of a song? Three to four minutes, but you're maybe having 200, 250 words. So you really have to pack a lot. And that's why I think a lot of songwriters, they nitpick this word or that word. What do yeah. I want to do? And I find that when I'm writing short stories, I'm definitely doing that more often than when I'm writing a novel. Because who cares if I don't have the right word in this scene as long as I have the right word, like maybe in a key scene later? But in a short story, every scene is a key scene.
2: Yeah. One of the, there is a beautiful documentary out running with our eyes closed which is about jason isbel and there is a scene where his wife and him are debating on whether you should use a or the about it's a hotel room key or the hotel room key or and they're back in and later he says for writing dance music we're not arguing about the adverbs (laughs) adjectives but we're not doing rock and roll or Dance music, so it's great. So, thank you for letting me go on that tangent. Oh yeah, I always like to start at the beginning. I'm going to ask this both ways because we do talk a lot of music here. So, growing up, were was your music? What kind of music did your family listen to? And more importantly, were your family readers? As a writer, did you grow up in a family of readers?
0: So yes to both. My dad, especially, is a real big music listener. And the game that we used to play on road trips was, can you identify the meter in the song? Can you identify the instruments in the song? A lot of what it was actually classical music, a lot of Beethoven, Bach. We also got into orchestra. Dad also had a fondness for like Old school twangy country. So, Lily Nelson is something that I grew up listening to. He also really liked John Prime. I actually remember crying once when I was a kid because we had left the CD for John Prime in the rental car. And then, and then now we no longer had it. So, I couldn't listen to it on the drive with my dad anymore. <laughs> And then mom was also into country, but more of the poppy stuff. So like Brad Paisley, Garth Brooks, which I also really loved mainly because as a child, I found his lyrics funny. Beer for my horses. Why would you feed horses beer? (laughs) Um, So so definitely a, a big music listener family, also a big reader. I grew up in a household where we weren't allowed to watch TV during weeknights. And then during the summer, that translated to I wasn't allowed to turn on the TV until I could prove to the babysitter that I had read for 30 minutes. It was a huge part of my childhood. We also didn't even get high-speed internet until I was a sophomore in high school. What else am I going to do with my time but read?
2: Gwen, why was it just your parents were... Really concerned about how much TV time you had in TV? Was it religious? What was the reason behind the limiting of watching TV?
0: I think it was just to make sure that we didn't become couch potatoes. I know several people my age who that's what their parents did. Like I said before, like the internet wasn't really a thing that we were doing anyways. We didn't have cable. So it was only network television anyway, limited offerings. My parents are very interested in being physically active, making sure you're exercising your brain. Sitting in front of the TV would mean we wouldn't be doing that. If we were in front of a TV, we wouldn't be outside playing. We wouldn't be reading a book. We wouldn't be practicing piano
2: so what time frame is this
0: oh i was born in 88 so this would be the late 90s early aughts yeah
2: okay Okay. yeah you're my son's age okay Uh, because he was born in 89 so absolutely what kind of books were you reading
0: as a child yeah fantasy was definitely my go-to Middle schools where I started actually reading Arthurian legends. And so okay. that's what I got into specifically Lloyd Alexander's like the black cauldron book of three, that series also really got into Susan Cooper's the darkest rising series. So that was big in the eighties. So by the time I read it, it had been around for a while, but based off of the Arthurian legends, again, there mm-hmm. fantasy was definitely my be- bread and butter when I was younger.
2: Okay. Do you, any thoughts? Why? Why did that speak to you?
0: I just always loved fantasy. Contemporary stories never had much interest to me. I always wanted to go on adventures and do this or do that. It was just something that always attracted to me. Maybe it's because The Little Mermaid was my favorite Disney movie. So,
2: <laughs> nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. Neat.
1: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
2: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
1: And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
2: Did you, as a writer, do you still read a lot? Oh,
0: of course. Something that you have to do, I think, in any creative pursuit, whether you're a musician or author or even a crafter, you have to be aware of what's in the market. You have to be aware of what other people are doing. So you're constantly listening to new music. What's going on here? What's going on there? For me, I'm constantly reading new books. Sometimes I like to also read old books, like books that had been published seven, eight years ago, just to get an understanding of how trends might have changed. But every quarter I like usually go through, what's the bestseller in a genre that I like to write or read, and then try to read one of those.
2: What did you know you wanted to be a writer early?
0: Yes, actually. I've always loved writing ever since I was in elementary school. It's not my career right now. Writing is, is the side hustle, but I always imagined myself doing something with books. So at one point I thought that I'd actually be writing textbooks. I thought there was more money in that. I also had an interest in the sciences, so that made sense. For a while, I also thought about being a librarian until I realized everything that's required <laughs> to go into being a librarian. Yes. So I always knew books was going to be in my future. Mm
2: -hmm. Do you remember some of your early writing?
0: Oh, God, yes. The first story that I can remember writing was like third grade, some very extended version of the shoemaker fairy tale. So the shoemaker who asks the elves or the brownies for leather to make a pair of shoes, and then he sells them makes the money, it gets more and it's a cycle of where he's just giving more and more for the fairies to produce. I never finished it. I do remember that because my teacher had stopped giving me classroom time to write it. Yeah. But that's the first story that I can actively remember writing.
2: And you talked about writing writing is not your day gig. It's a side hustle, which I love that phrase. <laughs> How does your does your day gig influence the hobby? Or vice versa?
0: Yes and no. So my day job is I'm actually an analyst. So I'm working a lot with numbers, um, which is the opposite of what I'm doing at night where I'm working with words. But I think that there's actually an overlap in terms of storytelling. So a lot of times in my day job, what I'm interested in is how can I build a story with the numbers? How can I bring one of my clients through? Here's what's happening. Here's why what's happening. Um, Figuring out what is important about all of this data that I have. And I'm using those same skill sets when I'm writing. I feel like, especially when I'm getting back down into those short stories, I have this world in my head. What are the important parts that I actually need to tell a reader? How do I want to structure something so it makes sense as we're going through the words instead of the numbers? I also feel like the critical thinking that I'm using for editing follows what I'd be doing as an analyst as well. Where are the patterns? What can keep? What I can? What can I take out? What can I keep? What might work? What might not
2: work? Yeah, in my day job is I run a call center. Mm-hmm. And so we look at data all the time. Call centers are good at numbers. Average handle time, average speed to answer, quality scores, whatever. And it is that the best way to con- to sell what's going on is data, right? To have that data. And you just can't give the raw numbers, you have to put it in context and paint the picture So that the executive or the decision maker understands what you're trying to sow and hopefully gets them emotionally, oh, this is a bad thing, right? Oh, or you put it in dollars and cents, like, oh, this is costing us money and productivity. Mm -hmm. So we need to make that change. So I could see how that is connected.
0: Yeah, I actually get that question at least once a week. Here's the numbers. Can you explain to me what they mean? And it's a skill set that I've cultivated in both of my careers at this point. Like how can I explain a concept in fiction and how can I explain a concept still using words, but around a different structure during my day job?
2: Yeah. And every once in a while I I get, I don't, I'm older now and I'm not as angry, but when I was younger, I would really get mad at consultants who would come Mm -hmm. in and would ask questions. And if you gave them the answers and gave the data but it didn't support the product they were trying to sell. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I think what you really meant was, like, no, isn't what I meant at all. No, that isn't my number one problem. I know you want it to be my number one problem, so therefore you can sell this solution, but actually my number one problem is this. You know, yeah. So yes. With all love to consultants, I realized that they're just trying <laughs> to do their gig. So do you remember and maybe this is what's the first thing you really said yeah i i nailed this
0: on a story
2: yeah or a book but Um, when you went you went because often once again quoting j michael stravinsky art is never he took it from someone else art is never finished it's just abandoned and if you rewrite 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 you 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 always
0: want to nitpick (laughs) yeah
2: sooner or later you have to go hey this is it's as good as it's gonna get we gotta let it go
0: Yeah, the first time I felt like I nailed a story was actually when I got external validation of it, because internally, you always want to nitpick, like I said, and even when you're shopping it around to maybe local writer friends, and hey, can you help me critique this? There's always something because they have a subjective opinion, just like I do, but they're trying to improve it. Whereas when I was trying to start selling my work, what I was looking for in that situation was... Do you like this just the way it is currently? Um, So the first time I made a sale is when I really felt like, oh, this is clicking. And the first time I made a sale was actually in audio. So not not in print, uh, oddly enough, but that was it for me.
2: An audio story? Like for Audible? Okay. So
0: no, actually. So I had written it for print, but I had sold it to a podcast. So they ended up recording it for me and then putting it out. Yeah. How
2: very cool. Great. Yeah, that's neat. I was going to ask going back to that. Do you have a? And the reason I'm asking is I have a wonderful friend named Tom who, when he's working on a story and he's an artist as well, so he does Mm -hmm. comic books and illustrated stories and he's done webtoons. And when he was doing a story, I really realized that this is not a. Group of fan fiction writers that really all they want you to tell is how wonderful their story was, right? And how much (laughs) they alerted. He actually was saying, Hey, I need you to look at this and not critique the story, but is this not making sense? Did something look wrong? Did you follow from A to B to C? And so. I imagine, do you have a group of friends or your only kind of counsel to help you pre-check to see, are you checking the boxes?
0: It depends on the story, but yes. So I do have a writer's group that I'm a member of and I frequently will write with them and we'll pass stories back and forth and we'll do critiques for that. Sometimes for my flash fiction, I will not. It's just really short. I often feel like they're not, meant to be polished anyways, like I said before, for social media, what frequently will happen is I will write it in a blitz of an hour and a half, and then I just publish it online and we'll see what it does. But then before I decide to consolidate it into an anthology for sale on Amazon, then I will give it this extra editing pass, usually with my critique
2: group. One of the things that Harlan Ellison would do is he would have a typewriter and would be at at an event and would type a page and then tape it onto the window. Type the second page, type it on the window, right? So that you can't go back and edit. It is just truly. And I think, once again, as we're talking about, that's a different muscle than trying to craft a, Okay, I need to do 1,000, 1,500 words about this theme. I am just going to do almost a, of of conscious, right? Just doing a mind dump on this was my idea, this is my story. I love Neil Gaiman talked about once that he cannot stand when an editor says, I need a short story for my anthology, Neil, and you can write anything you want. But if you say, hey, it's a collection of short stories about angels, have you thought about doing a cat angel story? Ah, okay. And now I have a hook and now I can tell a story, right?
0: Yeah, 100%. I understand that. My writers group actually puts out an anthology every year and they do it. It's a full workshop progress. So you submit your first draft and it goes through three rounds of critique. So you get nine people's opinions before the story actually get published. I decided not to submit this past year, mainly because I ran into that exact same problem, the theme that they wanted to write was too broad for me, I needed something a little more constricting in order to create something. And so a lot of times the short stories that I'm writing for to building an online community are in responses to prompts that I find. Those stories just tend to flow very fast. And then frequently I will take those and then I might expand upon them later maybe i build a intercorrective weave of three or four stories around the same concept reoccurring characters or i might take a flash fiction 500 words and i'm like do you know what there's actually more here let's expand it to a full story maybe it'll be 2000 by the end of it
2: do you have an example of something that was an inspiration that led you to something
0: yeah i had a story for a, a previous anthology so I knew the theme was denizens of the deep. So it was like creatures that were underwater. And at the time, I was really into the concept of Udines, if you're familiar with them. So I had actually written a flash short fiction put it on social media. People really liked it. So I thought it was a concept that I could go with and then ended up expanding it into a full story. It was actually a little bit different, I will admit. People really liked the concept though of a struggling Udine. So that's what I brought into the longer story and went through it with there. And then I think there's also, I'm working on an anthology right now as well, or same type of thing. I had a flash fiction that was about 400 words about, a blacksmith creating all of these swords and in the expanded version i have her reasoning here's why she's creating these swords in this particular way and actually ended up tying into her grief expanding upon things
2: have you asked yourself why you were so enjoying the shorter fiction is that because you're wanting a quicker response like you need a fix of I, I have a goal, I write it, I'm finished. I have a sense of accomplishment, rinse, repeat. Is Do you think that's one of the reasons you're doing this or it just feels like what you should be doing? A
0: little bit of both. So okay. this feels, this is something that I've naturally fallen into. Let me just start writing and doing this. But I call myself a discovery writer. Typically when you talk about writers, you have the plotters, people who have these very detailed outlines, And then you have people who are pantsers and they just write by the seats of their pants. (laughs) And I tend to use the term discovery writer because the enjoyable part for me when I'm writing is actually discovering the story. I don't usually have a whole lot in my head when I sit down with a blank word in front of me. It's developing as I'm writing. And what I have found happens that when I have tried to write those longer pieces, especially with novels, is I tend to stall out at about that 75 percent mark because in my head, I've already finished the story. So it's no longer fun for me to write. I'm not discovering anything new. But what has happened with the shorter pieces is because they are so short, there's less of a lack time between what I'm writing and what's being developed in my head. As I'm thinking it, I'm writing it down. And as I'm getting to this end to plot point, ta-da, my story is finished. The other benefit is of having these shorter things is then because I am not an outliner. Many short stories don't have complicated plots. You have one character, one situation, one lesson that you want to be learned. And so once you complete that character or that story arc, you're done. And I don't have to think about all of these other interacting plots. So to me, they're easier. They align more with how my brain is thinking. I don't want to hold five plots in my head for an epic fantasy. But I will hold one plot as to what will happen if a girl makes a wish on a magic rock.
2: Okay. What do you feel like... Is there something you haven't written yet that you think you want to? That's mumbling in the back of your mind that I think I'm going to want to do this.
0: In terms of a story plot? Yeah, or something. No, that's... There is. I... In, this is actually based off of very lucid dreams that I had off of medication years ago. (laughs) So it's still sitting in the back of my mind, but I would love to write a time travel or a time loop book to be, to be specific, but how I dreamed it was it would be for a middle grade audience. So it would be for students between fifth and eighth grade. Um, And I, the way I keep imagining it in my head is each time loop, you're actually still retaining the original version of the character. So by the time you get to loop four, you actually have four versions of the main character running around. The reason why I haven't written it is because I think that's too complex for me as a writer to actually tackle. So it's something that I will daydream about from time to time. But like I mentioned before, keeping track of all of those plots is something that I don't naturally do. I would have to really sit down and dedicate time to doing it. And then when I'm actually writing the story, I don't know how much wiggle room I would have to do that discovery process. Do I? Because- Anytime you're writing about time travel, you really have to pay attention to all the little details. And that's what makes those stories fun. Like when you're watching them on TV or reading them, but that takes out the fun of the process of writing for me. So that will always be an idea that I have that I don't know if I actually write though.
2: You could always do four short stories of Mary's Adventure and Mary A, Mary B, Mary C, and Mary D, and do it as a selection, a collection of short stories that could be independent, but if you read them all at the same time, you could do that.
0: Yeah, so the, I, it's probably what it would have ended up being. Like the first yeah. loop would be one story. Yeah. The second loop would be the next story. But by the time I got to the four, fourth story, because the Marys would be interacting with each other, what Mary A did, she can't do in the fourth loop because B is there interacting with her. So then it's just four stories once again in that fourth novel. Um, And then it truly becomes a novel at that point.
2: So at that point, (laughs) what you've got to do is get out your your flow chart, right? (laughs) It's like for your day gig and do all this. And I actually could see how that would be a fun hobby of just in your mind doing that And you'll reach a point, I have no doubt, where you will be like, okay, I think I've broken how to do this now and do that. So that'll be fun.
0: Fingers crossed. I've only been publishing stories for five years now. So I'm still like developing, I would argue, and still am early in my career. But like a time travel story would be something that I would love to do eventually.
2: Yeah, and and you're right, to do them right, there is a lot of, you have to keep, there's a lot of crossing T's and dotting I's. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things I thought about it, and we talked about, since this is a music podcast, how is music, any part of your creative process?
0: Sometimes I love to write to music and specifically, I like to listen to the music without any lyrics So it's a lot of video game soundtracks, maybe house music. I will also put on sometimes the soundtracks for Studio Gilby movies, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is very nice and relaxing. Occasionally, I might listen to playlists that people have put together about a particular vibe. So let's say if I'm writing a story about fairies and I listen to a fairy playlist, I don't tend to make playlists myself for my own writing. I tend to go look for what other people have done instead. A few years ago, I actually did like a fun little writing thing where every day in the month of April, I picked a random song from iTunes that started with a particular letter. April 1st was A and April 2nd was B and so on. And then just wrote a story based off of the song that came up. I didn't like all of them, but I did some of them and have since polished those up and actually published them.
2: Do because a lot of writers can't listen to music while they're creating, right? And I could see how instrumentals would be uh, a little bit of a little bit easier because the emotion of the songs can be as a background versus, but you're not going to get distracted by the lyrics and the story. So, Correct. Yeah,
0: and there's actually a science behind some of it, especially if you're talking about video game music. They're designed to be in the background to keep you energized as you're spending hours like crawling a dungeon or trying to defeat a boss. And so they have this kind of upbeat beat that keeps you mentally engaged. So I found them really good to write to. Okay.
2: So I, I'm curious. Let's talk about where can we find your work? What's, oh, yeah. Where, yeah, let's talk about where we can find your work and what. Let's talk a little bit about what let's promote a little bit.
0: Sure. So you can find my work online. So if you Google my name, Gwentolios on Amazon, you'll definitely find a selection of titles. Um, some of my books you can get from your local independent bookstore, potentially, um, they probably won't have it on stock to be frank. Um, but if you ask them to order it, it's possible And for that to happen. You can find most of my books also on my Goodreads account. And some of the books that I have are just me. I have a solo anthology that came out in December. It's called Fade Deals. And that's all stories by me, including some of those music-inspired ones. But then I have others like the Denizens of the Deep, where I'm just one author of many.
2: Yeah, and I will include your website, the doing, uh, I, I see right now, Tomorrow and Beyond is the highlighted. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. So that is, that is specifically my science fiction anthology. So that came out roughly a year ago now.
2: So what's next? What do you want to do next?
0: So next is I'm actually working on a second fantasy anthology. So hoping to have that come out in Before the end of summer, so late August is what I'm aiming for. Mm -hmm. That's my next project. And then in November, it's National Novel Writing Month. And so I always try to write a novel (laughs) during that time. It doesn't always work out. Last year, I actually ended up writing a novella. So about 40,000 words, which is pretty long for me. Yeah, that is. And then a novelette as well that ended up being about 15,000.
2: Is there a genre you haven't explored yet that you have an itch to work in?
0: Not really. As much as I enjoy consuming mysteries, and that's probably the only genre that I consume that I haven't written in yet, it's not something that I would write. I've written a contemporary romance. I've written science fiction stories. I've written fantasy stories. I've written horror stories. So I've already hit a lot of the big things Mm -hmm. that I'm reading.
2: Okay. So who are you? What you mentioned been talking about you do some reading to keep you aware of where what's going on what are some of the your favorite books that you've been reading lately
0: recently finished Naomi novik's school of Mance series okay so i would consider it an epic fantasy it's a trilogy so there's three books very intense world building with a sentient school and really? what really attracted me to it is it's very morally gray so at the end of the book you're really not entirely sure whose side you're on because everyone has very good reasons for doing what they're doing. But in doing so, they're just pushing the world to ruin. So is it worth it? Is it not worth it? A lot of these kind of morality questions are brought up throughout the season series. And I just found that fascinating. And to the point where now I'm trying to go through Novick's other works, purchase them, but haven't started reading yet. Yeah. Okay. That's
2: interesting. So are there... Are there favorite authors you go to on a fairly basis that that are going to provide you good entertainment?
0: Um, Novik is now one of those. Yeah, sure. it sounds like it. Shada McGuire is another author that I really adore, um, and she will do both fantasy and science fiction. Famously, she's probably known for creating very realistic science fiction. So I remember she likes to tell a story about how she used to call the CDC for information on, hey, if I made a zombie virus, is this accurate? Is this scientifically possible? And when the CDC told her, yeah, don't do that. She's like, oh, I got the, I got it. So she's very well-researched science fiction. So that's always a very good story for me to read. And then I'm also getting into, which was surprising for me, is Suzanne Kokel. She writes historical novels for the most part which is not my main cup of tea but she writes them in this lyrical style what sounds like an old school fairy tale and that was just very attractive right that sounds
2: fun yeah that Mm -hmm. sounds finally fun yeah i just looked up naomi and the school right you said how do you say it the school of man's school of man's yeah yeah that's i do you the villain is the hero in their own story if it's Mm a really good whether it's a movie, a short story, TV show, the villain has to be a hero in in their own story. So having that gray could be very interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah that that sounds very intriguing.
0: Um, yeah. it's one of the rare stories. I just remember finishing the first book and being shocked because from a technical standpoint something that they tell you that you really don't want to do in writing is have really chunky paragraphs. That's like an info dump. You don't want to do that, right. but Novik will have maybe three paragraphs on a page, but you're still devouring it because it's all really fascinating. I've never met anyone who's read it and didn't like it, but it has made some people very sad. They're like, I can't believe this is happening. Oh my God. Give me Hurt palpitations.
2: <laughs> when I do need to ask you, by the way, today came out, the Brad Meltzer and Chris of oh, um, so I am Wonder Woman. This is they they do a whole series of books of I am Rosa Parks, I am Abraham Lincoln, and so this is the story of Wonder Woman, and it says I am Wonder Woman. I see the power in you. Yes, your your icon is Wonder Woman. Why? It's a long.
0: Maybe a long story. That's okay. Um, I love long stories. <laughs> so maybe more like a, a two-fold story. I've I'm ethnically Greek. So I've always felt this connection to Greek tales, even though we talked about Arthurian legends a little earlier. So any type of Greek myth retelling I'm really into. Wonder Woman as a child always fascinated me because she's based in Greek myth. And then one year for National Novel Writing Month, my region's theme was superheroes. (laughs) So of course I had to get a Wonder Woman costume, worn it a few times, but that specific photo that I have is my profile photo. I wore it to a superhero event at the local planetarium. They took the photo. I really liked it. I shared it with my mom. My mom liked it so much that she gifted me two framed versions of it for Christmas. Wow. Uh, Right? I was like, it's actually, I don't know if you could, that's the blue frame behind me. Okay, <laughs> so,
1: nice.
0: It just, since I was getting such a positive reception to it, I was like, okay, I'm now going to put this as my profile photo. And it's been that way forever. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: But you mentioned you you haven't dwelt much in superhero stories.
0: I've done one or two of them. This That's true. But they don't tend to be my cup of tea. A lot of that I think would be is because honestly, I'm just getting... Marvel exhausted sure there's so many nowadays I also find that sometimes it can get repetitive not that long ago I actually decided to rent like every Wonder Woman movie that my library had and it was like always that same story of Steve crashing on the island and then her going to London it was like I wanted something new I I rarely see something new done with superheroes nowadays yeah so it's just no longer something that's Attractive to me and I don't, I don't see a way that I want to play with them.
2: Yeah, uh, that sounds great. Uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to checking out some of the books oh, yeah. and everything. What do you recommend us starting with?
0: What? Yours? Oh, oh, oh for my books It really yes. would depend on what someone is interested in reading. If you are interested in a full novel, I would recommend returning to you. I don't know if that's on my website yet. But that is a contemporary romance. You will be able to find it on Amazon. And then if you're interested in short stories, I would recommend Faye Deals. So that's The Sister to Tomorrow and Beyond, the fantasy pop, the fantasy anthology. At this point, that's my bestseller. So
2: most people seem to like it. Okay, good, (laughs) good. And any appearances coming up?
0: Yes, actually. So here in Chicago, they do something called Sundays on State. They close State Street, which is a really big main drag in the city. And I'm actually going to be sharing a booth with other authors in my writers group.
2: Oh, very nice. Yeah. Cool. And do you do you like making appearances? This is my first one. So okay, we'll see yeah. how it goes. We'll have to find out how that is. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Very nice. All right. So Gwen, what should I have asked you that I haven't? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground, but I want to make sure I haven't missed anything.
0: Judging off of your other podcasts, like I listened to a few other episodes, you have not asked me the Mary question yet.
2: I have not <laughs> asked you the Mary question. Yes, by the way, thank you for listening. Of course. Uh, yeah, yes, if you are a fan of Gwen's work and you're checking out the podcast. Thank you. She has made you all very proud. I can't wait to explore some of these uh, stories. But I end every podcast with the Mary question. Jay Armstrong, who is a writer himself, he is a retired English teacher. When he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road and then they would read them, they would discuss them, they would talk about the imagery that Bruce uses in the song, and then would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So Gwen, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road?
0: I say no.
2: Okay. Yeah. Give me a reason why.
0: Of course. So I actually liked the song. I hadn't listened to it before you told me to, but I got the impression that Mary has been holding a bit of a torch for the singer, who I'm just going to call Bruce for the sake of sure. of this yeah. discussion. <laughs> and then, but Bruce is a douche, and she realizes that when he shows up to whisk her away. And I think in that moment, when she's on the porch, she changes her mind about him and then decides not to get in the car.
2: I think that is a great answer. I love that <laughs> answer. All right. Once again, tell us how to find you.
0: So you can find me on most social media sites as Gwentolios. You to hit up my website, Gwentolios.com, and you could always find me on Goodreads and Amazon.
2: Very nice. Gwen, this was a blast. Thank you so much for spending yeah. time with me. Thanks I for having me on, I can't wait to Jesse. check it out. Yes. Uh, listeners, go to the website, check it out. Check out Goodreads, check out Amazon. If you read a book, give it a great review in Goodreads and say, hey, I found you because of Set Lessing Bruce, which would make me very happy. Thank you, Gwen. I so appreciate your time. Listeners, be kind, be safe. And remember, if we open up our hearts, love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Bye. Cheers. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at Set Lusting Bruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469 249 2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only Set and Bruce. The theme for Set and Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.